You are listening to an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org. Hebrews chapter 3 is where we go today, and we are looking at uh, this chapter at five responses that enable genuine faith in Christ. This is another chapter in which the writer is imploring those who read this who have not yet come to faith in Christ to take that step and to uh, trust Christ, to commit themselves to Christ, uh, to follow through on what has been placed before them. The first of those five responses we began to look at last week, and uh, that is to consider Christ. And uh, <clears throat> we considered those who were being addressed. Um, it's just the assembly. It doesn't mean that everybody that was in that congregation or in those congregations were born again. It's just that as I address you, so they addressed early uh, local churches as well uh, as brethren, as, um, but not assuming that everyone who is there is definitely a true believer. Um, and then also, uh, we saw that the, the phrase, partakers of the heavenly calling, the primary emphasis there is that you've been exposed to the person of Christ and the truths of the gospel in depth. Now what you're going to do with it? And this is where we see the word consider. Uh, give careful thought to, careful attention to uh, what is before you and act upon it is the exhortation. And so we can uh, continue with that this morning um, as we build in verses 2 through 6, <clears throat> first part of verse 6, and the author of Hebrews tells us as we're considering Christ to consider particular truths uh, and realities about Him. He says, For this one has been counted worthy of more glory. Let's pick it up in verse 2. Um, Jesus Christ, who is the apostle and high priest of our confession, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and all the implications of that, that he was faithful to him who appointed him. Jesus Christ was faithful to the Father, and the Father is the one who appointed him to this ministry, to this task, to this work, and he was faithful to complete all of it. Our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, throughout his ministry, as indicated in various statements in the Gospels, said that I am busy about my Father's business. I must do the work that the Father has given me to do. Um, your work is my priority, my focus, my words in trans, uh, translated, uh, not the exact words of our Lord Jesus Christ, but that's what he said, is that that's my priority, that's my focus, is to do the will of the Father. And that culminated then, uh, as he was on the cross, and he uh, spoke these words, it is finished. He completed the work that the Father had given him to do. Not long prior to that horrid experience on the cross, he had prayed, as recorded in John chapter 17, and asked if there was any way that this, this cup of suffering that he was about to partake of, 
there's any way that it could pass from him, Father, let it be. But if not, priority, your will be done. That's what will drive me. That's what will direct me. That is what I am committed to. And even though your will may take me through this incredible, horrid um, suffering, I will do that. He was faithful to the one who sent him. And the call here is that entrust yourself to the one who is faithful. He was faithful to the Father, and he will be faithful to all who entrust themselves to him. He will follow through on all of the promises and all of the provisions that he accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection in our behalf. That was the work that the Father had given him to do. And he was faithful to him in carrying out the complete will of God. And he will be faithful to us in carrying out the complete will of God toward us. So he who was faithful to him who appointed him, and then he says, as Moses also was in all his house. Moses was faithful. So he's building a contrast here in this chapter between Moses and Jesus Christ. Um, and saying, as Moses was faithful, as Moses was honored, even more so is Jesus Christ faithful and worthy of honor. Don't limit yourself to what has been in the past. Move from that and come to Christ. And for them, it was attaching themselves to the law given through Moses and all that's in the Old Testament. They were afraid. They were unwilling to move from Old Testament realities to New Testament, New Covenant realities in Christ Jesus. And the exhortation is you must move from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, to Christ. The exhortation to men today who are, have nothing to do with the law of Moses or the law given through Moses, who have nothing to do with the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the exhortation is still the same, applied differently. Move from wherever you're at in the oldness of your life to Jesus Christ, to him who has established the new covenant. He's faithful. Trust him. So Moses was faithful in all his house, meaning God's house. It wasn't Moses' house, it was God's house. So the responsibility that God gave to Moses, Moses was faithful to that responsibility. God expects faithfulness in service to him in his house. House not used metaphorically, house not in the sense of a literal, physical building. So consider Christ's faithfulness. Give thought to his faithfulness. Christ is faithful. You can trust him. Just as you trusted Moses, the writer says to these readers who had confidence in Moses, even more so have confidence in Christ. He's faithful to him. Faithful in all the house of God. Consider Christ's worthiness, verses 3 and 4. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Moses was counted worthy of glory, and rightfully so. He was a faithful servant of the living God. He did exactly what God wanted him to do at that time, at that point in human history. And being the leader that God called him and raised him up to be to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and back to Israel and through him the law to be given. 
In everything that God called Moses to do, Moses did. He was faithful and he was worthy and he was highly regarded, not only at the time, but in, in an enduring sense, all the way up to the time of uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, Moses was very highly regarded. He was worthy of that high regard. And he's still highly regarded today. They make movies about him. Hollywood makes movies about him. But that is not the worthiness spoken of here. Jesus Christ has more worthiness than Moses, more glory than Moses. Why? Because inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. So the line of thinking is, the one who builds the house has more honor and worthiness than the house. People visit our house, our home, and from time to time they ask, you know, who built this? Did you build this? Yes. And they say, you did a good job. At least they say that to my face. <laughs> they don't focus on the house. They, they say, you really did this? It's like, I didn't see that in you. <laughs> I had a lot of help. <laughs> but if the focus was just on the house and not on the one who built it, then you know, that, that would be turned and, and not correct. If you go to a house and you really like it, you want to, and, you, and you want one similar to that, you want to know who the builder is. Why? Because you want that person to come in and build a house similar to what you're looking at. You're impressed with the house. You're impressed with the work. You're impressed with the results. And so when it's done, then you give thanks, you give appreciation to the builder, the one who built it. And so the writer is saying here is that he who built the house, namely God, has more honor than the house. The one who is building the church today has more honor than the church in and of itself. That's what makes the church the church. It's, it's the one who's building it, not we who comprise it. And any worthiness that we have is due to the one who is building us, building his house, the church. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Jesus Christ is worthy of trust, worthy of faith in him, worthy of this kind of commitment to him, because he is the one who's built the house. God is the one who's built the house. This is another statement of creation. I know it's talking about Israel in the Old Testament, and the New Testament is talking about the church. But he's alluding to the fact that, that God is the one who has built all things. And that goes beyond Israel, that goes beyond the church. They're separate, they're not identical. To all things, he is the builder. 
And so he's worthy of our trust, worthy of our commitment to him. It would be silly. And that's not a strong enough word to look at any structure, including this one, and say, oh, it just popped up here. Amazing how things just pop up. We know somebody built this. I mean, that's just logical. And the cars that you drove and the vehicles you drove here, somebody built that. You don't think, oh, they just popped up one day. Look at all these cars just popping up all over the place. They just keep popping up. They're built. And they're built by people. And God used Moses to build the house, as it's referred to in this context, of Israel. And that's a great work. And God has much that he has yet to accomplish with that house. He's not done with that house. He has stopped construction on that house. And that stopped with the beginning of the church. But he's going to return to that house and resume the construction and complete it. He will complete everything that he said and promised that he would complete to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David. He made promises. I'm the builder. I'm going to get it built this way. It's off the construction grid right now. Because of your disobedience and your sin and your rejection of the Messiah. But I'm coming back to it. I'm going to return to that work. So what are you doing now? Well, our Lord says, I'm building another house. Not to take the place of the house that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David. It's a house that I've, since the beginning, uh, before the beginning of creation, I plan to build. You just didn't know about it until I decided to make it known. And he made it known when Christ said, I will build my church, my ecclesia, my assembly, my called out ones. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And so now he's building, Jesus Christ is building the house using this metaphor of the church. And he's doing the construction. And he will complete that construction. And when that construction is finished, he's going to move the house. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We shall be caught up together with him in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. He's going to move this house that he's building. And once it's, and once it's complete, he gathers this house. He suddenly, quickly moves this house from this present earth with him in heaven. And there's, there's more that he has in store for this house. It's called the church. But that's what he's doing right now. 
And so he, he is the one who has built it. God has built all things. And he is currently building this house. Come to him, trust in him, believe in him. So consider his worthiness. Christ is worthy of total trust and faith and commitment. Consider Christ's relationship, verses 5 and 6. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant. So Moses was a servant, and he was faithful in all that God called him to do for a testimony of those things which would be spoken. So Moses did what he did, and it was a testimony, a witness of those things were yet to be spoken. So there was more to come. So he was a servant in this house. Get that down. He was a servant in what God was doing in building the house of Israel. Verse 6, but Christ as a son over his own house. Christ's relationship in all of this is that he's the son. He is the contractor. He is the builder. Moses was a servant. Jesus Christ is the son. Don't look at him as just a servant like Moses, as great as Moses was and is, or any other highly worthy and regarded servant. He is God the son, and he has his own house that he is building. Whose house we are, this moves into our next response, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. So Jesus Christ, consider him for who he is. Come to him for who he is. Verse 6. Hold fast the hope of Christ. That's the second response. Hold fast to the hope of Christ. The characteristic of a genuine believer is that he or she will hold fast to that hope. That holding fast does not save or maintain a person's salvation. It is an evidence of their salvation. He says, whose house we are, if we are holding fast the confidence and the rejoicing, that word rejoicing is often translated boasting, but it uh, can be understood as rejoicing, um, if we're uh, of the hope firm to the end. And so literally, the, the emphasis is, if we are holding fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope. And if you followed along in, in the Greek, it would say, whose house we are, if the confidence and rejoicing we are holding, we are possessing, speaking of occupied territory, being in occupation of. And so we are in occupation of this confidence, of this hope, of this expectation. We are part of the household that Jesus Christ is building if we have come to that point and placed our confidence and our trust, our hope, our expectation are in Christ, and we're holding on to that firmly. It's not someone who is back and forth or, or unsure and, and uh, unconvinced. 
but someone who is clear and definite and has a clear confidence and expectation, and they hold firm in that hope, and it doesn't waver. He says, you're part of that house if you come to that point where you've placed your full confidence and expectation in Jesus Christ. It's not enough to simply have exposure to and to be able to recite information about Jesus Christ, about God, about salvation. That's not enough. It's not enough to be able to explain to someone else quote, the plan, the way of salvation. If we have not personally put our trust and confidence in Jesus Christ, we do not hold and possess that hope. We have not appropriated it. But we are in his house if we have that hope and that expectation, and it's firmly rooted in us. That's the concept here. So the nature of genuine faith is one who has come to that point and we have firmly rooted ourselves by faith in the hope and the expectation of salvation in Christ Jesus. We have firmly rooted ourselves, clearly, knowingly rooted ourselves by trust in Jesus Christ in that expectation that in Him and in Him alone is salvation. That's the nature of genuine faith. And simply because someone is among a group of believers and has knowledge of the Scriptures and has knowledge of Christ on some level doesn't mean that they are a Christian. It doesn't mean that they've come to faith in Christ. It doesn't mean that they're justified, saved. It simply means that they've been exposed. And that's not enough. And God says, the purpose of exposing you, of exposing people to the truth, is not just to give them information. The purpose of exposing people to the truth of Jesus Christ is to call them to faith, to call them to repentance. Even stronger terms, uh, the Apostle Paul related that as they went about in their ministries, recorded in Acts chapter 17, I believe he said this, as they went about in their ministry, they commanded all men everywhere to repent. The purpose of exposing God, exposing people to the truth of what he has accomplished in the person of Jesus Christ is to command them to repentance. The only response that men can have to God is that of repentance because of their sin and their sinfulness toward God. We dare not think of God being satisfied to say, well, I told you. The purpose of God revealing the truth is that we repent, turn from our sin and sinfulness and turn to Christ. It's not merely to inform us. And we, we will continue to bump into that exhortation, to that truth, to that reality throughout the book of Hebrews. The assurance of genuine faith. His house we are. 
do you know with confidence within yourself, within your mind, within your heart, within the depths of your soul, that you are part of the household of God, the church of the living God? Do you have that assurance? I'm not asking because I doubt you or myself, but quite frankly, I, I can't see your heart, nor can you see mine. And I can assume that all of us in this room have this, this morning have that assurance, but it's an assumption. And my assumption counts for what? Nothing. Zero. Nada. And whatever other language says nothing. And having a legitimate confidence an expectation of our salvation in Christ Jesus only comes if you know that you personally have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ unequivocally for your salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins and the pardon of your guilt because we all stand guilty and we all are guilty before God because we're sinners and we've sinned against Him and we stand guilty. And do you know that your sins have been pardoned? Do you know that your sins have been forgiven? Do you know that? I know many of you do. But do you know that? Don't, don't, don't come to Christ and don't come into the presence of these truths and not respond with a genuine affirmative faith in Christ Jesus. We're going to have to stop there and move on, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks because Ken will be preaching next week to the next point of this exhortation. We'll ex at least expose it to you. Another response to genuine faith is to hear God's voice. And here we're not talking about some of the crazy things we hear today. We're talking about hearing what God says through his word. Powerful, powerful truth in the next section of verses. Don't treat Christ lightly. Don't treat Christ dismissively. Don't disregard Jesus Christ, and what he says. Don't settle in your mind and heart to call him a great person, a great prophet, a great whatever. He is more than that. He is the infinite God come in human flesh to save us from our sin, to deliver us from our guilt. Come to him for who he is. And kneel before him and repent of your sin and your sinfulness against the living God. And Christ will save you. He will forgive you your sin.
and he will pardon you of your guilt. If you have not come to him in faith, today is a day to hear his voice, to repent toward God and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, today we thank you for the time that we've been able to spend in your word. We thank you for the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are faithful, Lord Jesus. You're faithful to the Father and you're faithful to us. You're faithful to fulfill every promise that you've made that we put our faith and trust in you and there are great spiritual blessings that we possess and you're faithful to fulfill every one of them. Thank you for your great faithfulness. Thank you alone that you indeed are worthy to accomplish this great work of salvation and redemption, the cleansing and forgiveness of sins, the pardon of our very real guilt before you. You're worthy, and therefore we trust you. And thank you that <clears throat> you have provided for us all that we need to be accepted by the Father as we stand in you by faith. Father, thank you for everyone this morning who has this confidence and this trust in you who are holding fast and continuing to hold fast this confidence and assurance of faith. Thank you for your great work of grace toward us. In Jesus' name, we give thanks. Amen. This has been an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org.